Institute of World Mission podcast. You're listening to the show for Adventist cross-cultural mission enthusiasts. My name is Alex Ott, and together with the IWM team, we invite you to join us today. This podcast is a production of the Institute of World Mission brought to you with support of the General Conference Missions family of ministries and services. Hello, friends. Summer, of course, in the North Hemisphere, is in full swing. I know you know that I'm excited about that. It is warm, which is just great. Well, on the other hand, in the world of Adventist mission, a lot is going on these weeks. Just last week, we had the first Adventist Muslim Relations Global Conference. If you're listening and you were able to be part of this conference, actually to attend, please know you are doing a very important work. Special greetings to doctors Petrus and Samuel. So much work went into this conference. This week, the Institute of World Mission team is holding a re-entry workshop. Re-entry workshops are designed for Adventist missions personnel who are returning home. That is mostly to North American division, but it can be for people returning to other divisions as well. For that, you would just need to check with your division. I know we've got listeners in this particular group this time. We at Institute of the World Mission know that the Lord Jesus is at work in your lives and is preparing you for the next chapter in your ministry with Him. And here, friends, is a special announcement. It is special enough that I couldn't leave it just for the end of the interview. It's just about a week and a couple of days before we will be holding an online conference, which is a webinar. You've heard about webinars from me before, but this time it will be more than our monthly webinar. For this one, all divisions have joined in sponsoring this event alongside with the General Conference Secretariat. Hensley Maruven, General Conference Undersecretary, and Karnik Dukmetsen, GC General Counsel, will present on the ins and outs of conflict of interest. And this is not going to be a boring subject. The presenters will bring a lifetime of experience and depth of knowledge of the world church to help strengthen our ministries. So, please note, June 27 is the date. 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time is the time. All ISC employees, alongside with intra-union employees, as well as officers and staff and divisions and unions having to work cross-culturally and travel, are especially invited. If you did receive your invitation from your division, please register at iwm.adventist.org forward slash webinars. If you haven't received one and you qualify, Don't wait for it. Just go ahead to iwm.adventist.org forward slash webinars and register there. You are invited. And now, let's move straight to our interview with Wesley Jamko. This interview is number two in a series of three. The series is dedicated to creating a lifestyle of appropriate witness in any cross-cultural environment. To catch up with interview number one, please look up episode number 23. And now, let's get straight into the interview. 
Wesley, welcome back to the Institute of World Mission podcast. Thank you for having me back. Yes, this is our second episode, and we are in a series of three about witnessing in the missionaries' lives. So about halfway through. <laughs> well, by the end of this episode, yeah. we will be more than halfway through. Yes. So let's jump right into it. And would you please remind us what we did cover in the first episode of this series? Well, you know, the first episode, I was kind of talking about how I didn't like to witness. Uh, you know, with that, really what I'm saying is I think a lot of times our witness is ineffective. And I don't like those those kind of witnesses where it's it's trying to call people to a decision or to try to make people interested, you know, sometimes when we meet them for the very first time. So the challenge is a lot of times, I think with an ineffective witness, we don't see mission advance. We think, see things stagnate. We see things just kind of maintaining. Uh, we don't see the, the role of, of witness in that as being effective. Uh, it's not achieving what we hope also. You know, we sit back and we kind of think, well, this doesn't make people interested in God. It's not converting anyone. So why are we doing this? And whether consciously or, or subconsciously, we kind of stop witnessing in the sense of actually sharing those, those personal stories of what God is doing in our life. So this is a, a big challenge. I think one of the reasons why, uh, why witness becomes ineffective is, again, because we're trying to use it for something that it, it can't accomplish. We can't make people interested. We can't try to convert them just through our story. Uh, you know, Philippians chapter 2.13 talks about how for it is God who works in us both to will and to do for his good pleasure. So here we're trying to take something that we do, our, our story, and try to make that something that's going to actually convert people and reach people and change people. But, you know, the Bible says that's God's job. So today then, as we are um, really switching gears and looking into today's episode... Um, let me ask you this, what does God want us to achieve if we were to still witness? You know, what does God want us to do with this? I think this is a, a very interesting question and really essential question because unless we really understand what God is, is doing and what he's called us to do, sometimes we end up trying to do God's job for him or, or we end up, you know, doing things which, again, which don't work because that's not what they're for. Um, I think there's three levels that we, that we kind of try to change people in. Uh, first of all, you know, usually we're kind of addressing things, especially in the mission field, we address things at a cultural level. You know, we see what people do. And so, you know, culture is kind of like that socially reinforced behaviors and, and habits and norms and rituals and other things like that. Uh, the things that, that you can see all around you, especially the surface level culture. And so sometimes we just try to, you know, do our, our mission work on that level where we're out trying to change behaviors or make people do a certain thing or come to church on Sabbath or be here, or do this or get baptized. Um, some of these things just stay at that action level and mm -hmm. they don't mean anything. Mm -hmm. And so, of course, in mission, then we then talk about that deeper level, which is worldview. You know, that so, you know, culture. Second thing where we're trying to address people is oftentimes at that worldview level where we're trying to address really what people believe and their socially influenced assumptions. Mm -hmm. uh, I think those things are also very essential, right? Who, you know, what, what makes you do the things you do? 
uh, how do you think the world works? Uh, what do you assume is the way reality is? Uh, these, it's at this level that so many of these questions of belief are, are addressed and, and even religion are addressed, right? Who's God? Who am I? Uh, how did this world come into existence? What's out there? Uh, what happens after life? And, and all of these kind of questions. What's reality? What's truth? All of these fundamental uh, questions and assumptions of life. Uh, and I've so we always heard about these two levels, so the culture and, and the worldview. Yeah. And we're looking at transformation, you know, especially thinking of missionaries who are working among people of different cultures. Uh, I can't think what will be the third level. I'm really looking forward to it. <laughs> well, this is, this is something that uh, I was actually reading an article. Um, maybe I can uh, give you the link later for, for what it is. For sure. I can't and we can, just, right and now. we can just put it into the show notes for this episode. It can be there as a reference. Yeah. That's excellent. So uh, I was reading this article, article that was talking about deeper level, uh, deeper level structures. And it was writing and talking about this idea of uh, well, actually, it was kind of based around this uh, one verse in the Bible uh, and, and other things as well, but from Ecclesiastes 3.11, where it talks about God has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity in, in our hearts. This idea of this, this innate longing inside of us, this, this hunger inside of us, this, uh, in some cases, almost this emptiness inside of us. So what's at the root of that? Because when you look at worldview, people writing about worldview are always talking about this, this continuous searching and categorizing and, and, and re, reanalyzing and, and readjusting uh, what or how we think the world works. It's not like we, you know, we're born, our parents kind of influence us, and then we set our worldview and it's stuck like that forever. It's constantly in flux. Sometimes we almost treat worldview as if it is this static thing, but it's not. And it's not just one culture, everybody has the same worldview. Uh, there may be similarities because, you know, it's, it's kind of uh, influenced by, by the culture and, uh, and the, uh, the community around us. But really, each person in their own heart, there's something that's just driving us to constantly be searching and categorizing and, and thinking and evaluating. And, and this one sort of works and then it doesn't really work and doesn't address this situation. So we come up with something else. You know, all you have to do is, is you know, spend some time, even, even with mission people, right? You know, all you have to do is sit down and, and talk and, and even people who are in mission from the same perspective, you know, we could all be Seventh-day Adventist missionaries out, out somewhere and you talk about how the world works and how people think and everybody's going to have a very vastly different opinion and ideas of how everything works. So what's driving that? I think what it is, uh, for me, is what I like to call the latent image of God. So this idea of, you know, God, when you read the story in Genesis of when he created us, he says, let us make man in our image. And um, I think that's, that's basically it. You know, we were created in the image of God. We were created for a purpose. We were created to be in a deep relationship with God. We were created to live forever. We were created... Uh, you know, to have authority and dominion. And uh, we were created, um, you know, for all of these fantastic and beautiful things. And we lost almost all of that with, with the fall of man. And so there's this hunger and this crying out for these things, this yearning for, for reality. And so I think, I think this is part of, of, of what's kind of driving, uh, what's kind of driving things. Yeah, so what I'm hearing from you is that we have 
this latent, like you said, image of God deep in us, this hunger. On top of this, we have a worldview, you know, how we assume what is yeah. reality. And, so and as we have that hunger, you know, on top of how that. does everything work uh, and, and what does it look like? Uh, and then, like you say, the culture on top of that, as we make these assumptions about how everything works and how to kind of appease some of these longings to know who we are and a longing for a connection with divinity and a longing for for eternity and to, to last forever to have some big impact with our life then we create these worldview assumptions that help answer some of those heart longings and uh or you know conversely that you know kind of a corrupted image would make us come up with some kind of substitutes that that kind of pervert reality <laughs> according to to what we want or or, or we just have these pains. But then culture, as they come up with these assumptions and they're trying to deal with day-to-day life, they kind of come up with the way that we should live and, and the things that we do and the, and the rituals that we have to add meaning and speak to some of those things. So do I hear you correctly that God would want us to try to wake up that deepest level to kind of speak to that level? Is that what I'm hearing from yeah. you? So probably some of our listeners are sitting back saying, I thought this was supposed to be about witness. Uh, why are we talking about image of God? So uh, Alex, I think where this comes and where this becomes relevant is, uh, you know, that's, that's the purpose of God. I think when we look at what is God trying to achieve, uh-huh. if we were to look at the greatest thing that God is trying to achieve, what is it? Well, he's trying to restore all of us back to his kingdom of glory. You know, there's a lot of uh, writings about the kingdom of God and, you know, this futurist view and this present view and all sorts of uh, unusual different ideas about what the kingdom is. Is is it something past or present or future? Setting all of that aside, you know, an Adventist uh, kingdom of God view, uh, you know, even Ellen White, she talks about this idea of the, the kingdom of grace, which is what we're experiencing now, the grace of God working in us to transform us and to restore us but also that kingdom of glory where the fullness of the kingdom of glory uh, of God uh, comes, comes uh, you know, we become part of that again. And I think the ultimate purpose of God is he wants to get all the people, all of his children back into his kingdom if possible, but he gives us a choice. But in order to achieve that, I think the mission of God in this world is that restoration of the image of God in us. So who we were created to be, to restore us back to what he made us to be, uh, you know, and this is this is something which is spiritual and moral. And this is something which is mental. This is something which even, you know, uh, as we're entering into the kingdom of God, becomes something very physical as well. And even here now, you know, our, our church has the Advent, uh, you know, the Adventist church has has the health message where we believe the whole person is important. I think that's part of, of God's purpose in restoring the complete image of God in people, restoring us back to what he made us to be so that uh, we can begin to experience a little bit of that kingdom of glory right now and can become more and more like him. I think as, as we begin to be transformed, that restoration begins to take place. That's where people begin to change. Is it okay if I just share a couple quick quotes uh, with you? So uh, one of them, uh, which I think is is really great from Ellen White, Uh, she talks about the central theme of the Bible. This is Education, page 125. The central theme of the Bible, the theme about which every other in the whole book clusters is the redemption plan. And what's the redemption plan? She goes on to say, 
the restoration in the human soul of the image of God. So it's not something I'm just completely making up here, right? <laughs> Even in the Bible, Colossians 3, 9 to 10 talks about, since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. So there's this idea of, you know, first and foremost, uh, our spiritual connection being restored. Uh, and then the Bible talks about, uh, you know, the new man or the new mind or the, the you know, uh, even a new birth, right? Where uh, we are transformed, our minds are transformed to be like him. So that as, as who we are changes through connection with God, what we want changes, what we do change, and we become someone different. And when Christ comes again, our physical bodies change as well. So, what I'm hearing from you is this, if I'm in Egypt, just for an example, as, as an example, um, witnessing then for me is not just fulfilling my religious duty, you know, I am a missionary, right. I have to go and I have to tell someone. Or my nine to five job. Right, so I have to tell, otherwise what kind of a missionary am I if I'm not even telling anybody, so I, I gotta go and tell them because this is my religious duty. So we wanna move away from this mindset to a different outlook where I'm looking at the people, you know, the Arab people or any other country, any sure. other place, doesn't matter. I'm looking at the people around me and I'm thinking, these people have an image of God and what can happen with those people if they realize it and how can I help? Yeah. Now, does that so, sound like what you know, you're leading us? Even after the fall, we still have this, this residual uh, aspect of the image of God left in us. How, how can it be awakened? How can it be restored? And yes, you know, every single person out there, you know, you sit in a big city. Uh, I remember uh, many times uh, sitting in places like Bangkok or, or you know, in, uh, in, in Dhaka, Bangladesh, in one of these, you know, kind of uh, very plain high-rise buildings. You're looking at this sea of of multi-story buildings it just goes on and on and on. And you think of the, the millions of people who are in this one city and you think, you know, how can you reach each one of them? And you look at the traffic going by and you know, these hordes of, of people going by. So, so often we don't even see them, but when we stop to recognize each and every single one of these is a child of God and, and needs to be reached. You know, the question then comes in, how can the image of God be restored? Well, it's God's work. So then, you know, I guess my point with this is some of the reasons why some of what we're trying to achieve through witness is ineffective is because we're trying to do God's work for him. We're trying to say, okay, through my witness, I'm going to make someone interested. Through my witness, I'm going to transform someone. But that's not our job. It's God's job. So then the question, Alex, is what is our job? Uh, you know, what is it? Yeah. I guess that's the question. <laughs> what, is, what is our job? We, we understand the purpose. Our purpose is it's not because we have to do it. It's not because that's what it's expected or whatever. And But we do truly care about other people. We care about what God is doing for them. And we ourselves are transformed. Yeah. You see, we, the image of God in us is being transformed. So if we are in this state, which we assume we, we are, and we look at other people with new eyes, we see God in them partially and we want to join with God and making a difference then what is our job from here yeah Alex I think this is you know this is where sometimes uh, we struggle because like you say 
as we start to experience the power of God in us, we want other people to experience what we're experiencing. So what do we do? Sometimes we start with the last thing that we learn before we become Christians, you know, as new Christians. So we start trying to pump into them all these Bible verses, these systematic texts, you know, oh, this is, this is Jesus. You just need to accept Jesus and all these other things, which are absolutely true, but they're not ready for it yet. And so, you know, we're not really sure how do we connect people with, with God in such a way that God can transform them. And I think this is where it comes back to what is our calling? So God's ultimate purpose is to get everybody back into his kingdom. His mission on this earth is very clearly to restore the image of God in people so that they can be restored back into his kingdom. So then what's our job? I think that's an important question as we're looking at this question of what an effective witness is because if we don't know what our job is, then what are we trying to achieve with witness anyways, other than just, like you say, fulfilling some abstract duty or, or doing our job or we're hired and we're supposed to be missionaries, so we're, we're supposed to be doing this. I think this is a really key question. Most often, when we start talking about what does God want us to do, uh, we whip out this nice little text from Ministry of Healing, page 143. So, Alex, have you, heard, have you heard of Ministry of Healing, page 143? What does it say? I think I preached... How does it start? I preached so much about it and taught about it. Christ's method alone. I, I, yeah. I think you can pick we'll it up We'll give there. true success, right? Christ's method alone will give true success in reaching the people. And we're like, yes, here it is. This is what, this is what my, my calling is. You know, uh, the Savior mingled with men as one who desired their good. He showed his sympathy for them. He ministered to their needs and won their confidence. And then he bade them, follow me. And we're like, yes, this is it. This is my calling. And so, uh, again, you know, Alex, as you go out there and you look at what's happening, are we mingling with people? Well, maybe not everyone as much as they could. But we as Adventists, we know how to mingle. We know how to make connections. People... You know, you go into pretty much any area and you get together the workers or other people and you sit down and you say, okay, in your country, how do people make connections? Everybody answers this question, right? They know, uh, you know, uh, one of the ones that always comes up, food, we eat together, you know, we do these things together, shared experiences, and it goes on and on. And, and depending on where you are, we know how to make connections. We know how to then care for people and sympathize to them. We know how to help them and minister to their needs. We, we can start winning their confidence. And then we're like, okay, now what? Evangelistic series, come follow me. But again, there's still that, that space in there. But even more so with this, um, there's maybe a, a misunderstanding as to what we're trying to achieve with this because we try to make this our calling. But Alex, I'd like to suggest to you that this is not our calling, as, as radical and as, as uh, evil as that may sound coming from a mission person. Then what is it? Well, if we... Or what is our calling, rather? Yeah. If we, if we take one step back in this, I think the answer is right there in that same place. You go uh, a couple sentences before this, and this is what is written. It says, the world needs today what it needed 1900 years ago. Okay, so what does the world need? And she continues, a revelation of Christ. Alex, I think that's what our calling is, is to reveal Christ to the world. So she goes on to say, a work of reform is demanded. We can all agree with this, right? We look around us, we see 
poverty, we see sickness, we see illiteracy, we see crime, we see suffering, we see all these you know, issues of overcrowded cities and everything else. We see people with this yearning in their heart. We want to connect them to God. We want to help them uh, to be restored. So she says, a great work of reform is demanded. Yes, amen. And then continues, and it is only through the grace of Christ. I'm just going to stop with this for a second. You know, the grace of Christ, I think, represents that undeserved power of God in our lives. It's not just God likes us, you know, yes, but because he likes us, he works in us to change us and restore us. So the power of this whole thing is the grace of Christ. And then she goes on to say that the work of restoration, have we, have we talked about this yet, right? The idea of, again, restoring that image of God inside of us. She says, again, the grace of Christ that the work of restoration, physical, mental, and spiritual can be accomplished. I think, I think this is it. So God is trying to restore his kingdom, the kingdom of, of glory, and bring us all back into his kingdom. In order to do that, his mission is very specifically to restore his image in us, to restore us back to what he created us to be. What's our purpose in this? I think it's just this, to be a revelation of Christ, to be a tangible representation in, yes, our silent witness, in our character, in our actions, in the things that we do, in the friendships that we make, and all of the stuff that we know how to do, but then also in the stories of what God is doing in our lives. So it's pervasive. Our entire life is about God's grace, the grace yeah. of Jesus in us. But again, as we're starting to come down to what is an effective witness and what is it supposed to accomplish, ultimately speaking, one of the key things that an effective witness is trying to accomplish is not to convert people, not to try to make them interested, but just to be a very tangible representation of God in their lives. So if I come to you, Alex, and I share, whether it's a great story or a simple story of this is something that God has done for me, every time that happens, people get a picture of who God is. And every time we see a picture of God, we also see where we're at. And usually we can recognize the gap between the two. And the clearer picture that we have of God, the, the, the more direct view and, and, and picture of the love of God and the goodness of God and the character of God that we have, the more that we see that gap. And then we're faced with a choice. We either, one, turn away and run and hide or get aggressive because we don't want to see it, or two, we begin to open ourselves up to this. And then it's very easy. You know, if there is interest, then we follow through. If there is not, then, then we don't. So this is where it comes back to, again, what is an effective witness trying to accomplish? I think this is, this is really what I want to emphasize as we're getting closer to the end here. Number one, an effective witness reveals God to people. It plants a seed by helping people to see God in some tangible way, whether that's a silent witness or specifically through a verbal witness. But number two, and this is really key, you know, the Bible talks about how Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. We need to learn how to search for spiritually interested people, to search for people that the Holy Spirit is already working in and people whose heart is already starting to open up. Number two, the second key part of this is an effective witness helps us to search for and identify spiritually interested people. And that's why we witness. 
plant the seed, but even, even well, I won't say more importantly, but for the sake of, of what we're failing to do sometimes with our witness, we need to really pay attention to an effective witness where we're sharing a story of God allows us to identify and find uh, and, and see what people have the Holy Spirit working in them. And that's an extremely th- important thing. Otherwise, we go through all of our activities, all our institutional things that we do, everything else. We're constantly doing all of this stuff. Uh, we're making relationships. We're building friendships. We're helping people. And maybe we're doing this for five or ten years, and we say, have we reached anyone? Well, I don't know. Uh, you know, have, have we, do we know who's interested? No, we don't know. Why? Because we never check to see if anyone's spiritually interested. So this is an important thing. This is why I'm so excited about witnesses, not only the fact that we can use it to plant the seeds of the love of God and a, and a, a revelation of God, which helps us to fulfill the calling that God has given every single person on the face of this earth who has accepted him. But number two, it helps us as we're looking for other people that God is already beginning to work in because he's the one who does it. It helps us see who they are and identify them so that we can begin to disciple them. I think with this, Wesley, we are ready for uh, our third episode. Now, can you just announce, uh, tell us a little bit what it's going to be? Yeah, so the question is, how do you do that? And that's what we're going to talk about. Um, Practical ways of actually making this possible, what you just described for us. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at, uh, again, just a simple example of how we can actually use witness to search for spiritually interested people and what that looks like. Wesley, thank you so very much. Thank you very much, Alex. Friends, we dubbed this series on witnessing, Witnessing 101. Or another title we've been using is Witnessing that you will actually love doing. We feel the topic is so important that we created a small course out of it. By the way, it's our first one. And it's already available on the IWM website. You can find it at iwm.adventist.org forward slash witness. One of our long-term goals is to create meaningful online courses where we can go deeper into a certain topic, where we can provide much more value than simply in a single interview or a blog article. This particular course already features all three interviews. Did you catch that? On the podcast in our feed, we really aired only two. One, the first one, episode 23, and the second one today, this episode, episode 28. In the course, you can find all three together bundled for you. I encourage you to check it out. Just remember, you will need a functional account with the IWM website to access the page. Now, if you don't have one, don't worry. It will take only a minute to create one. You'll be directed to a registration page. In the last episode, friends, the last one, number 27, I have proposed three ways how you can help the community of Adventist missions to thrive. I spoke about sharing podcast episodes and blog posts through your social media accounts, if appropriate. I spoke about engaging with us through comments on the website and emails. 
finding opportunities to make personal recommendations to others about things we produce on the IWM website through these different means. Today, I'd like to give a special shout-out to Benjamin, who lives and works cross-culturally in Madagascar. Benjamin shared an email with us with some thoughts and ideas about the podcast. Benjamin, thank you, and thank you for deeply caring about the topics we raise. At the Institute of World Mission, we value a conversation. Your input, your ideas, friends. For us, it means to be a community together. My name is Alex Ott, and I will be happy to see you next week.